0: Last week, we considered the reality of our different gifts. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and we considered his words, that Christ gives gifts to everyone who is in the church, different gifts in different measure. And that is to be not a point of division amongst us, something that brings us yet closer together. That was the argument of the text last week. Paul explains that we all have different gifts in different measure, and that is to be a means towards our unity, not least because our different gifts cause us to depend upon one another. As we understand that not one person is equipped fully to do everything required within the ministry of a local church, we then realize our need for one another. So an acknowledgement of our differing gifts in different measure should bring us closer together. Additionally, as Paul quotes from the Psalms and explains where those gifts have come from, we see that every gift within the church The exercise of every gift is a reminder of God's work in our hearts through the gospel. As you look around and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ serving in many different ways, you see the gospel being put on display, and that causes us to rejoice. And thirdly, we consider the fact that that gospel is the saving message For us, because of Christ's suffering. The gospel works because Christ made a payment for our sin. He died on the cross, a criminal's death, in our place. And for that reason, we are saved, justified, adopted. We have a glorious hope and we have gifts. And so as you look around and you see gifts being exercised within the church, It is a constant reminder of the suffering that Christ endured so as to give those gifts. All of those realities bring us together in unity within the local church. From there, Paul goes on to explain how that happens. If, in last week's text, he showed us the what, that we have different gifts, This week, he explains the how. How are those gifts then designed to work together so as to bring about a mature, healthy, robust church? What is God's design? What is the roadmap that he gives us in Scripture that uses the gifts given to us so as to bring every local church to a position of health? of maturity, where God can use that church to the praise of his glory. By way of reminder, we are in Ephesians 4, which is to say Paul here is leaning towards very practical application of the theology he has already given us in chapters 1 through 3. So as we move in to think about the different gifts and the way in which they're designed to work together, all of it needs to be done with the theology of one through three in view, I think all the way back to chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we bless our Father in heaven? It is to submit to the plan that God has given every church in the use of the gifts that he has granted us. Now that plan, in summary, if I give it to you now, we'll work through the verses. The the plan that God has given us is that the ministry of the word leads his people in the work of building the church. That's a summary of Paul's argument in verses 11 through 13. The ministry of the word leads God's people in the work of building the church. Let's look through the verses and see that argument develop. Beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, He, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And we can stop there before he goes on to the purpose and just consider these five roles that Paul speaks of. It is important to note Paul is speaking here somewhat historically. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Paul has very much in view the birth of the church, its initial establishment in redemptive history, And we know that because today, the apostolic age is over. There is no longer any gifting in the likeness of an apostle. The apostles are no more. The apostolic age has finished. And similarly, there are no prophetic gifts today. At the birth of the church, at the time of the church's conception, as it were, the apostles were very much there leading the charge, and there was a gifting of prophecy during those early years, very much as a validation of the claims being made concerning the church. So Paul is looking back historically as he speaks about these five roles. The apostles were there, as I said, on the ground preaching the Word of God, and in particular, if you work through the book of Acts, you see, the content of their message was gospel focused. They preached the gospel. The prophets were there speaking very much in line with the Old Testament prophets, a ministry of both foretelling and forthtelling, explaining God's word to the people. The evangelists, what we might refer to as missionaries, were there pushing the boundaries. Advancing the gospel to new areas, new cities, planting churches. The shepherds and the teachers more internally focused. Caring for the sheep and teaching, instructing from the word of God. So they're the five roles that Paul draws attention to. Looking back historically, there is a point of commonality to all of them. And that is that all of them center on a ministry of the word. In those early days, whether you were an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher, your bread and butter, your ministry was the word of God. That consumed your time, your efforts, your energy. Though it was nuanced depending on the particular role that you filled, if it was one of these roles, you were a minister of God's word. That's the point of commonality around these five roles. The point of continuity to today, though there is no apostolic office, though there is no gifting in line with the prophetic ministry, we certainly do have evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And the point of continuity is again the ministry of the word. The evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers of today just as it was in Paul's day, are concerned to minister the Word of God. Now, what that means is, as Paul includes this verse within an argument towards building a healthy church, how does a church come to a level of maturity, that simple observation, the commonality and the continuity of the ministry of the Word throughout redemptive history teaches us that every single healthy church is built upon the ministry of the Word. Or to put it another way, churches cannot be healthy apart from a ministry of the Word. How do you build a healthy church? The answer is you minister God's Word. It is that simple. Now today... We understand God's plan for the church is that the elders would do the majority of the teaching. If you look in 1 Timothy 3 at the qualifications for deacons and then the qualifications for elders, they're very similar. Qualifications that basically point towards spiritual maturity. One of the few differences is that the elder must be able to teach, which infers that God's design is that within any local church, the majority of teaching should be from the elders. And it may even be that one particular church de- decides that it would be wise to apportion the lion's share of the teaching to one elder. And so at Bethany, we have the role of a teaching pastor. That is not to say, of course, that there won't be other expressions of teaching God's Word within the church. It doesn't have to be exclusively the elders that teach. And as you know, if you've been here for some time, there is much teaching apart from the elders, teaching in equipping hours, teaching in home groups, teaching in women's and men's ministry and in Sunday school classes. Lots of saints ministering God's Word. It doesn't have to be exclusively the elders. And similarly, with that point, the ministry of the Word is not restricted simply to this pulpit. It is the primary avenue by which the church is cared for, shepherded. How the Word of God gets into the hearts of the people is Primarily, first and foremost, through our worship services. I want to stress the primary shepherding mechanism in the local church is Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship. But, again, there is much teaching that happens on a Sunday and through the week that is also moving the church towards maturity. The point is, God has designed that His Word would do the work. Martin Luther famously said regarding the Reformation, I did nothing. I slept and I ate and I drank. The Word of God did everything. God has designed that in the church, it is the Word that does the work. And that stands to reason theologically. If you consider what we understand of God's revealed will throughout redemptive history, what you see is that the Word always does the work. On the very first page of your Bible, God speaks and creation happens. God speaks. That is not an accident. He is setting a precedent for the rest of redemptive history when He says, let there be light and there was light. God speaks and the universe comes into being. It is his word that does the work. And then from there, he raises up prophets beginning with Moses. And Moses does many things within the life of Israel, but foremost amongst them is to be a communicator of God's word. He teaches Israel the law. And as he does so, he is advancing redemptive history. God is working through him because it is the word that does the work. And then we move on to the latter prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and many more. Again, they are speaking the word of God. And though they do it in large measure in a judgmental way, they are still advancing redemptive history. They are issuing warnings and they are calling the people to repent All the while, in their ministry of the Word, the people are moving closer and closer to their exile. It is the Word that does the work. And then we get 400 years of silence. No new revelation from God. Nothing being written. No one speaking as a spokesperson for God. Redemptive history, as it were, was standing still. And then in that vacuum, the Word of God appeared. The Word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, appeared. Jesus shows up. John calls him the Word. And again, as he has a teaching ministry, he is advancing redemptive history. He proclaims salvation and People hear him and receive his message. They are brought into God's saving purposes for them. And then as Jesus ascends, he hands on the baton to the apostles and their primary ministry. The ministry that consumes their lives is a ministry of the word. Because they understand the charge that Jesus gave to them to preach the gospel. They understand theologically it is the word that does the work. And so they set about day after day after day to preach and to teach and to write the word of God so as to move God's plan forward. In the very reading of the epistles, there is a manifestation of this power. This is why the apostles begin and end the epistles in the way that they do. They they begin the epistles with a desire that grace be given to the hearers. May grace be with you. At the end of the epistles, they close out so often simply saying grace is now with you. Indicating in the very reading of God's word there has been a manifestation of that power by which he moves his Purpose is forward. It is the word of God that does the work. And the apostolic age has ended certainly. But the word, the ministry of the word continues. Through elders, through teachers, those in the church who minister God's word. It is the word of God that does the work. Now it looks Different in many different contexts. Preaching is one form of ministering this book into the hearts of those who will hear. You sit in a counseling scenario. It feels very different to a sermon preached on a Sunday morning, but the principle is exactly the same. The counselor is seeking to leverage this book into the hearts of those who sit before him. In an evangelistic scenario, it looks very different. The conversation might sound different to the counseling scenario or the preaching on a Sunday morning, but in principle, it is exactly the same. The evangelist is grabbing hold of God's word and seeking by God's grace, according to the working of the Spirit, to minister that word into the heart of the unbeliever before him. Whatever is the context, the principle is the same, to get this book into the hearts of those that would listen, and therein is the work of God done. This is the only book ever written that is alive. It is living and active. It is the only book that is inspired, breathed out by God. God. It is the only book that is inerrant without error. It is the only book that is sufficient both for salvation and for sanctification. And it is the book which is to be authoritative over our lives. We do all that we can to get under this book because it is by the word that God does his work. That is the plan for the church. What does it mean practically? It means you should never see an elder in this church very far away from his Bible. As you see the elders in this church, they should be very close to the Bible. Because their primary responsibility is to minister the Word of God to the people of God. It means, very practically, that the book that you hold in your laps right now should be central to every ministry in this church. The Bible should be central to every ministry in this church. It also means that you shouldn't see the elders occupying themselves with many other things. Think about Acts chapter 6, those early days of the church, and the apostles were overwhelmed with needs, ministry needs, real, valid needs. But they understood it is the Word of God that does the work. And they had the responsibility of heralding the truth of God, ministering it into the hearts of those before them, and so they made an appeal. We need somebody to wait on the tables to care for the widows. Somebody has to do this work. That is not to belittle those, those valid needs. I praise God for the work of the deacons in this church. We could not be where we are today without them. But it is the apostles saying we understand the centrality of the word in this work. There is no local church that will obtain maturation, a healthy status, apart from the ministry of the word. And then for the elders, it means this is incredibly liberating. I sleep very well at night. Before we had kids, I was a very light sleeper. We then had a bunch of kids. I am now a very deep sleeper. (laughs) I think it was a self-defense mechanism that my body developed as we kept having more children. It is very hard to wake me up in the middle of the night. I fall asleep very quickly. I don't lose sleep worrying about church growth. God will determine how big this church is. I don't lose sleep wondering if there'll be enough finances. God will provide. It is the ministry of the word that does the work. There are times. there are times when my heart is heavy. There are times when I struggle to end the day. And that is normally when I feel that I have not communicated clearly the Word of God. As I think back on what was said in that day's ministry... If there was something that wasn't as clear as I would have liked it to have been. If there was a point that maybe I should have given more time in preparation to. It weighs heavy for the fear of hindering the work of the ministry. Because it's the word of God that does the work. Now, with that being said, certainly God has given this responsibility primarily to the elders. But there are many in the church that will teach, and my encouragement to you this evening, as you see this principle in verse 11, is to consider that you also could be a minister of the word. You don't have to have a formal position given to you in the local church. To be someone that ministers the word of God to others. Read your Bible. Grasp hold of a verse, a truth. Every day, read your Bible and just grasp hold of something. Go out into the world with that verse, that truth. Clench tightly in your hand, and where there is opportunity, give it to someone else. When you come on a Sunday morning, there's much to talk about, so much to say. Prioritize being someone who speaks the truth in this book to others. You become a minister of the Word. And you know that you are advancing the work of the Lord because it is the work of the Lord to use the word. Now Paul goes on from there to speak about how. God uses the ministry of the word, how, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the immediate purpose. Stop there halfway through verse 12. The immediate purpose for the ministry of the word is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, if the elder's job description is inferred in verse 11, this is now your job description. There are certain things that are implied by understanding the ministry of the word is to equip these saints for the work of the ministry. The first thing is to understand your responsibility is to show up. The first reality that the ministry of the word equips you for the work of the ministry is that you need to be under the ministry of the word. If you are not under the ministry of the word, you cannot be equipped. You cannot do what is God's design for you in the local church. I am greatly Encouraged to see how many folks come out on a Sunday evening. I bang this drum so often, I make no apologies and I will never stop. Come to evening church. Why do I feel so strongly about that? Not least because in evening church, like in the morning, there is a ministering of the word. And you as a Christian need to get under that ministry. If you're not present, you can't be equipped. And if you're not equipped, you can't do the work of the ministry. And if you are not doing the work of the ministry, this church will not grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That is what God wants for this church. How will we get there? The saints need to get under the ministry of the word. I am so encouraged to see so many coming out on a Sunday evening. And I know for many of you, it's not easy. It's not easy with many young children to come out again late in the evening. I understand. But it is so important to be here under the word preached. And please, as you see those around you on a Sunday morning, grab hold of them and don't let go until they come back on Sunday night. The first inference is you have to show up. Secondly, you have to be ready to receive the word. You have to be ready to receive the word. We pray before the service for soft hearts. I pray after I've read the scripture that God would lead us. Would you pray before you even come to church that God would make ready your heart to receive the word? Men, husbands, lead your families in this way. Before you step out the door on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, hit pause, bring your family together and pray very simply, God, make our hearts ready now for the ministry of the Word because you understand the importance of that ministry, of receiving the Word within the plan of God to build a healthy church. Surrender yourself to the Spirit that He would make you soft and malleable and ready to receive instruction every single Sunday. And then as you come here, by God's grace, with a soft heart ready to receive, you then need to listen. And I say that seriously. You have to listen. I've been in your position. I know what it is to come to church with many trials, many other things occupying your mind and your heart. And the word is preached and not one word goes in. The number of sermons, God forgive me, that I have sat through and not listened to a word. You have to show up with a soft heart and you have to listen. You do whatever it takes If you have to take notes, take notes. If you have to write in the margins of your Bible, do it. Do whatever it takes to make sure that you are tuning in to what is being said because that is the ministry of the Word that is equipping you. It is God's design for you to hear that sermon that Sunday. And so your responsibility is to listen. And then your job is still not done. You go home and you ask yourself in the quiet of your home, how do I respond? What do I do in light of what was said this morning? How should my life look in light of this truth? How do I live? You have to respond to the word of God. You have to take it in, and your life as a Christian should continually be one that is changing. That is the mark of a Christian. Within the local church, your life keeps moving forward. You're changing because the Word is doing its work in your life. Allow others to hold you accountable. Allow others to ask the question, what have you been learning recently? You will hear me ask that question so often. Tell me something the Lord is doing in your life now. I could rephrase that question and say, tell me how you have been responding to the word preached. What is the Lord doing in your life now? By which, in part, I mean you tell me how you are responding to the word that you are sitting under Sunday by Sunday. And as you are faithful to show up, to pray for soft hearts, to listen and to respond. As you are faithful as a church member to fulfill that role, God equips you for the work of the ministry. Notice, this is not about the giving of gifts. My preaching does not give to you a gift. I am not equipping you with a gift. That was last week's text. The ministry of the word, as it were, activates the use of those gifts. That's how you reconcile verses 7 through 10 With 11 through 13, Christ has given gifts. Now with those gifts, you come under the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word activates you to use those gifts in the context of the church. So it could be that Christ has given to you a gift of hospitality. Just by way of example. And you are here Sunday by Sunday, and as we go through the text verse by verse at some point within one of the texts preached, you'll hear the reality that Christians are to be loving and to be kind to one another, much as we thought about this morning. And if Christ has gifted you with that particular gift, it might well be that on that Sunday the Spirit prompts you, convicts you to use it. He might open your eyes to show you how thus far you haven't been using it. And now you need to respond to that word in accordance with the gift given. Or perhaps Christ has gifted you with the gift of administration. I thank God for administrators. And you're sat in a sermon one Sunday and you hear the truth preached that we serve a God of order. We see His majesty on display in the universe, and He is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And as you hear that indicative, the Spirit ministers an imperative that you need to use your gift of administration. That is how it works. You get under the Word, and the ministry of the Word activates you to use your gift. And so just as with the elders who are given the responsibility of teaching, you should find in this plan a very liberating principle. You don't need to worry about church growth. You don't need to worry about the budget. All you need to worry about is your ongoing response to the word of God. Your concern should be if you are responding to the Word of God. If you are, then you're following the plan that God gives. He uses the ministry of the Word to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the ultimate aim of building up the body of Christ. End of verse 12, why does he equip the saints? He equips the saints for the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ, the church, would be built up. In verse 13, Paul then explains what that looks like. He does so by referencing the time until which the building will continue. Verse 13, until... And then he gives three pictures of a healthy church. The first is one wherein the members have attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The second picture is very simple, mature manhood. And thirdly, what is a healthy church? It is one that has attained the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Thinking through those three in turn, as the saints are equipped and they do the work of the ministry, the church grows in its knowledge of the Son and its trust of the Son. As the saints do the work of the ministry, Jesus Christ is our center. Everything focuses on Him. The saints collectively grow in their understanding, their apprehension of Jesus Christ. And our trust in him grows in likeness. We get more knowledge and we grow in our faith. We all grow in our understanding of him and collectively we express a unity of trust in him. Second picture, mature manhood. It is the picture of a strong, robust, not weak, not feeble church. And thirdly, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Paul has used this fullness language already three times in his letter to the Ephesians. The theology of fullness that he has given so far is that Christ is the fullness of God. Christ doesn't lack anything. He perfectly represents the Father. Christ is the fullness of God. In turn, Christ is filling the church. We are to attain to his fullness. If you've ever considered a newborn baby, its head is out of all proportion with its body head is too big. That's God's design. His or her muscles in its neck are not strong enough to hold up its head. His body is too small in proportion to this head. And what happens over time is that their body catches up and their body eventually is in proportion with the head. Christ is our head. He doesn't lack anything. An immature a weak, a young church sits out of all proportion with its head. A mature church, the picture that Paul gives here, is one where the body is in proportion with the head. The fullness of Christ is reflected in his body. This is God's plan for every local church. The ministry of the word equips the saints to build the church. It is the very best plan that anyone could ever have come up with. We are not a social club. We're here to do the Lord's work. At times it is hard. It is not always fun. But God has given us a perfect plan by which the church will reach Maturity, And as we are faithful to follow that plan, we will find more joy here than anywhere else. We will find more joy in the local church than we will find anywhere else. And God will use the mature church to bring praise to his name in such a way that in eternity thousands upon thousands of years from now, the testimony of every healthy local church will resound. Not a fading fruit, but a lasting fruit. God gives to us the opportunity to be part of that kind of work. Would he lead us ever to be faithful to his plan for this church? Pray with me now to close. Father, we give you thanks for the plan that is so clearly set out in your word. It is the ministry of the word that you use to accomplish your work. The word does the work. Help us to depend on your word. Help us to esteem your word. May it be central always to everything that happens at this church. Forbid that we would stray from your word. Forbid that we would go about our activities and ministries without the word at the center. Father, cause me to be faithful to your word. Pray tonight for the elders. Keep us from distractions. Keep us from giving ourselves to other things. Guard our hearts. Keep us close to your word. May we be found as faithful ministers of your word because it is the word of God that does the work. I pray tonight for the saints of Bethany Bible Church. I praise you for every member of this church, for their salvation, for your ongoing work in their lives, Help them to be faithful, to receive the word, to show up by your grace with soft hearts, ready to listen and to respond. You have given to each one of us gifts, May the ministry of the Word in this church activate every single person to use the gift given to them. And in so doing, would the work of the ministry be fulfilled. Would the work of the ministry be carried out in this congregation all the while trusting that there is a healthy church being forged, a mature church being built. By your grace, Father, reward us with the joy of serving. Gift to us joyful, overflowing hearts as we submit to your plan. And use this church as you see fit, for your purposes, to the praise of your glory, we ask through Christ, who is our head. Amen.